welcome to Intellectual Property Magazine's podcast. I'm Ben Wodecki and this is episode six, Breaking Down Bane Barriers. On the pod today is Krishna Kakiyadi, an associate solicitor from Pinsent Masons. Krishna is a life sciences expert, works on IP litigation, arbitration and transactional matters, alongside offering regulatory advice in the pharma industry. He works with a wide variety of clients, including international originators, generics, biotech companies and startups. Krishna, thanks for coming on the pod. How are you? My pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much for having me here today. And also joining us is lead executive officer at IP Inclusive, Andrea Brewster, OBE. Andrea is a chartered patent attorney and European patent attorney who founded IP Inclusive, which is dedicated to improving diversity and inclusion in the IP professions. She's also a council member and former president of the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys, or SEPA. Andrea, again, thanks for joining us. How are things? Yeah, I'm fine. Hi, Ben. Hi, Krishna. With introductions out of the way, it's time to get on with the pod. Today, we're discussing the lack of black, Asian, minority, ethnic, or BAME attorneys in big law. In a recent interview with IPM, Ellison Turner of Kirkland & Nellis told us that there weren't enough BAME patent litigation partners at major firms, and that clients he had spoken to had expressed that they were having trouble finding any. We also recently spoke with leading black attorneys from the US and UK who echoed his comments. Krishna, let's come to you first on this. Following the BLM movement and the subsequent focus on diversity and inclusion, or DNI, what makes now a good time to create or expand the current dialogue on addressing inequalities in the IP world? I think there's never been a better time, really. We always needed to open up and maintain the conversation around race, diversity, and inclusivity uh, inclusivity within firms. And this means that we always needed to create safe spaces where there was no fear of retribution or judgment from people to openly discuss these issues about race within law firms. And, and unfortunately, this momentum to create safe spaces and have these conversations has come from the killing of George Floyd, which I would say really shook the collective conscience of society And that invariably affected lawyers and partners at law firms and, of course, our clients as well. As a member of the steering committee of the free network at my firm, uh, and this is a diversity network uh, which aims to educate and raise awareness across the firm on these issues, we have seen a real groundswell in support and enthusiasm for membership in our network. And and this support and intention to do more is coming from senior management management and partners within the firm um, who can be huge catalysts for change. And similarly, on the other side of the fence, I would say that clients also want their service providers to mirror their DNI goals. And some clients are making DNI targets compulsory when they engage with clients um, um, in panels or in matters. They're taking robust steps to enforce these DNI targets by sometimes docking amounts from bills and invoices if DNI targets are not met. So we have all key stakeholders who are sensitized and interested to do more. I think now the issue is how we can harness all this good intention and translate it into long-term sustainable responses. I would mirror everything Krishna's just said, actually. I I think there are two angles to this. There's the moral side, isn't there? We were all so deeply shocked by the killing of George Floyd. And speaking as a white ally, you know, that the sense of shame that filled me with to realise how how much is still wrong with society really spurred a lot of us into action. And we realised how important it is to be allies and that a lot of the change now has to come from 
the non-BAME community working with the BAME community. So there was that sort of moral and, and societal impetus. But I think also in the IP profession, certainly in the last few years, we have seen more of an interest in diversity and inclusion. Firms are beginning to realise the various business benefits of, of having more diverse teams that are more in, innovative, that are better able to respond to changes in the market, that are better placed to go out and interact with clients. And they're seeing the importance as well of being able to hire from a wider pool of people to bring in new talent, new perspectives, and to keep those people there. You know, inclusivity has become a, a major thing during lockdown because we've all become much more aware of the well-being of our team members. And I think all those things have come together to make now, as, as Krishna said, a very, very good time to tackle this issue. Leading on from that, Andrea, you've been one of the champions of IP Inclusive, of course, founding it and kind of starting this dialogue well before the George Floyd killing kind of brought it into, into the mainstream. Would you mind outlining for our listeners a bit about the, the IP Inclusive, its charter, and, and, and how far IP Inclusive are, are looking to go to, to address this issue? Well, the impetus for this has actually come from right across the IP Inclusive community. Um, we realised that members of all our support communities, not just IP and me, specifically looks after BAME professionals and their allies, but all the other communities rallied together to say, we stand behind you, we, we stand with you, we are all interested in making things better for BAME IP professionals. And we channeled that into a, a big roundtable event a virtual roundtable, of course, at the end of July, realizing that this was a good time to get the IP professions together to make progress and realizing that IP Inclusive was best placed to act as the vehicle for that. So we pulled together senior representatives from all the different IP sector organizations, membership bodies, and firms and, and companies, and IP departments as well. And everybody got together in a real spirit of, of generosity and openness and um, willingness to change. We spent a couple of hours talking about what the sector could do to make improvements. We've got a whole set of outcomes which we're about to publish that came out of that meeting. And we'll now be working with all the different IP sector organizations to turn those outcomes into positive steps, things that we can actually do that will make a difference. And it's going to be a lot of work and it's probably going to be a long-term thing, but at least the professions have now come together with IP Inclusive to try and make progress. And it's it's just great because at that meeting, we had such an amazing mix of, of people. You know, we had the greatest proportion of BAME professionals that I've seen in an IP sector meeting for a long, long time. And we're working together, both BAME and non-BAME people, to make things better. Thank you for it. Uh, it's insightful because I, I know, Krishna, you were at that meeting uh, as well, as Andrea was saying, and we're, we're talking about this idea of actually what needs to be done. So it's the attorneys that we we highlighted uh, in an earlier uh, written piece uh, said that more needs to be done in terms of supporting education and, and the legal careers of, of BAME attorneys in general. Would you mind kind of outlining some of the methods you personally see need, needing to be done to achieve this? Yes, I was in fact working with Andrea on the Roundtable Initiative, and we, we got some amazing insight from different professionals across 
across the industry as to what would help and what wouldn't help them. So um, I think when the outcomes get published eventually, that will be um, a groundbreaking piece of work that will help people focus their minds to particular measures that they can take in their own organization. But just taking a few steps back, I think in terms of measures that law firms can take, I think it is important that these need to be holistically looked at. So I wouldn't say there is one set of recommendations or a one-size-fits-all approach that just works across the board. And I also think it should not be an overly prescriptive approach. As Andrea was mentioning uh, when she was talking about the roundtable, law firms should realize that this is going to take time. This requires patience and commitment. Some steps are invariably going to fail. And, and there is going to be a process of learning and exchange of experience across the different law firms. But it is very important to get that culture change uh, in place very early on. And one of the key aspects of that, I feel, is to get the process right. So have a project plan in mind and audit your business thoroughly so that you can spot what is going on and what's going wrong. And in, in terms of the audit I'm thinking about, the law firm needs to speak to people at all levels of the business and across the legal services and the business operations to find out what the barriers are to entry of minority ethnicity professionals into the firm. And then also what's going wrong within the firm in supporting these professionals through their career profession, uh, progression in the firm. There are experienced consultancy firms that can do a thorough job. So this is not something that law firms need to do all by themselves. And similarly, I would say there is also some merit in looking through the entire, if I can say, life cycle of a professional within a firm. As I was mentioning earlier, it's important to look at the recruitment aspect of professionals coming into the firm, how they are being supported across their entire career hierarchies, and also see whether they are progressing towards the levels of higher management and partnership, where then they can be truly visible um, as minority ethnicity professionals across the industry. Once you identify the barriers, then I think it's, it's important for firms to think about what sort of bespoke measures they can take in order to address the problems that they have in their firm. And these are important and sensitive issues that will need broad buy-in from everybody in the firm, uh, which is why I, I, I reiterate in saying we shouldn't be looking at knee-jerk responses or immediate uh, measures that firms implement because somebody else has done it. I think firms need to be thorough in the way they plan these measures and really think about whether something is going to work for them and, and just look at the entire thing very holistically. You hit the nail on the head there when you said about that it's going to take some time and the fact that we are having this open and honest dialogue and or, or some firms or other are starting to have this this dialogue now is, is good. I, I think the one thing that we picked up on when we were talking to some of, of these attorneys who, who want to see more done is they were looking at saying, okay, maybe mentors and sponsors is a good route to go down. Andrew, what's your what's your thoughts on this? Should firms be perhaps looking at uh, maybe on more of the mentor side of things and the sponsor, sh- sponsor side of things for, for aspiring BAME IP attorneys and professionals? That's certainly one of, the, one of the things that came out of the meeting that people would like to explore more. And I know at SEPA, for instance, have a plan to, to try and get some sort of scheme up and running soon and to involve the rest of the IP sector if they can. But what, what was quite clear from that meeting, actually, we 
heard from Anne-Marie Imafedon, the chief executive of STEMX, and uh, she's a very vocal champion for, for BAME rights. And one of the things she made clear was that mentoring on its own is not what really works, that there needs to be that active sponsorship as well. We have to remember as white allies that we ha- we're so privileged in terms of the vast networks that we have professionally, and we have to open up and share those networks, not just mentoring as, as a reactive thing, but uh, more proactive. This brings me back to a more general point. I was listening, I was fascinated by, by what Krishna was saying. And, and what's so important is that we listen to people like Krishna and that it, this is a process that involves the BAME people first and foremost, telling us what's needed, not the white people in that very paternalistic way saying what, what they need to do to improve things. There's a risk that we do what, what happened initially with women, that the, the men looked at why, why women weren't proceeding so well in terms of what the women were not doing well enough and what the women were doing wrong, and, and let's try and train them to do it better. I think we need to be careful not to try and support BAME professionals by teaching them to do things the way we do them or to do them better, but by looking at what we're doing wrong that isn't allowing these people to progress. What are we doing wrong that isn't bringing enough of them in at the point of recruitment? So this is going to be a process that requires a lot of humility from white allies across the sector, and that absolutely has to have involvement from the BAME professionals themselves. Would you mind outlining for us what the role of a, a non-BAME white ally for us? Because I, I'm sure some, some of our listeners might not be aware that, that this is something that they actually might be without realising, or this is something that they could look to encourage more. Would you would you mind outlining that for us? I wish I could, Ben. And, and, and I think it, that's something that really has to be defined by the BAME people, you know? I mean, am I an ally to BAME people? Only they know that. But I've, I've taken the line in terms of being an ally across different diversity strands, that the most powerful thing I can do is to be aware of the privileges I have because I come from a middle class background, because I'm white. You know, all the different things that have given me a leg up without my even realizing it. To be aware of those privileges and then to use them to help other people who don't have them. So because I automatically have a seat at the table, because I have a voice on the platform, I need to use that to champion change and and to help other people come up behind me rather than pulling the ladder up behind me. And I think that's probably the essence of what an ally is, specifically for BAME people. I think that's not for me to say. Krishna, I I just want to come to you finally and and ask about advice for aspiring BAME IP professionals and and young IP professionals as well. From from your perspective, from from your career, what advice would would you give to, to those professionals in terms of approaching this industry? What advice would you give? I would start off by saying, of course, I'm, I'm assuming that when you say aspiring uh, minority ethnicity professionals, we're already talking about people who are interested. So I'm not going to talk about making the IP profession more attractive, because obviously when we tell people more about the IP profession and tell them what interesting work we do and how open and inclusive we are, uh, that's going to attract more people to apply to us. But assuming these people are already interested in the IP profession, I, I would say at the application stage, don't hold back. Be confident in your application and at your interview, and there is no need to feel under pressure because you belong to a minority ethnicity. If things don't go well at a particular firm, make sure you apply widely, firmly believing that there will be another place that's the best fit for you. In terms of another piece of advice, I would say get in touch with support organizations and networks that are out there. The IP Inclusive uh, Initiative, for instance, and the IP and a Minority Ethnic Subcommittee that I am a part of as well. There are other committees out there beyond the IP 
inclusive that also minority ethnicity professionals could look out for. There's the Black Lawyers Directory Foundation. There's the Aspiring Solicitors Association. And all these associations and networks encourage diversity and social mobility. So if applicants can gain any insight or advice in relation to your application or your general career, I would strongly recommend applicants to reach out to these organizations. And then finally, I would say, please do your research really well. I would say apply for vacation schemes, apprenticeships, work shadow schemes or internships, anything really that will allow you to gain experience in the actual workplace. I see there are two advantages to this. Firstly, you understand the culture of the firm that you're going to be interning at. So you can look around your teams to see whether the workplace is truly inclusive and truly diverse. Is that a place that you would feel comfortable working with? Ask the tough questions to you to the other employees and ask the tough questions to the partners at those firms around DNI and see what they are doing. And even if you don't get into that particular firm that you interned with, it, it looks great on your resume and will definitely help out with a subsequent application. So th- those are the points of advice that I would offer to any applicant. But I wanted to both ask if any of you would like to highlight, add or, or kind of emphasize. Ben, I wonder if I could say a little something about one plan that IP and me has, and it, it, it was endorsed by the roundtable meeting, and that's to create a sort of directory of BAME professionals who are willing to speak at events, to take part in working groups and committees and things like that. We want a directory that lists those people and their areas of expertise so that nobody has any excuse when they're putting together an event panel or a new committee not to include plenty of BAME representatives throughout the IP sector. So please, to all the BAME professionals out there, consider joining IP and me and getting involved and consider joining that speaker directory because there's nothing more powerful than improving your networks and gradually improving the visibility. Once we, once it's normal to see BAME faces on the conference panels, then it's going to be a lot easier for us to make progress. That's it from us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this extremely important topic. We'd like to extend our thanks to our panellists for taking the time to speak with us and thank you for listening. Please make sure to check out intellectualpropertymagazine.com for all the latest IP news, views and developments from around the world. Thank you and please stay safe. Stay safe.